stock manufacturing company provides restaurant uniforms for uh, for companies and brands all over the country, specifically out in Chicago where they're based. Uh, they've worked with Soho House, uh, Let Us Entertain You, and maybe most notably the Alinea Restaurant Group, uh, which is how they really got started with restaurants. Uh, I had the great fortune of sitting down with co-founder uh, Jim Snedeker, and we talked all about his personal evolution, the evolution of the brand, and this really interesting uh, interplay, this overlap uh, between what they do in manufacturing uh, uniforms uh, and uh, and how they service and serve the restaurant industry. Uh, it was a really great conversation, tons of value. I hope you enjoy it. Stick around. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast all about helping chefs and operators build more profitable restaurants. Now each week we toggle back and forth between a monologue style format and an interview, but the goal is always the same, to take complicated marketing concepts and make them both understandable and actionable. Why? Because like I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, today's episode is made possible by Chip Close Creative. This is my company, an agency I founded back in 2016 that's all about helping restaurant owners build strategies for their businesses, helping them get more deliberate with what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. I work with nearly a dozen clients all across the United States, and I'm ready to take on a few more clients. To get started, I'm offering a free 60-minute consultation to anyone who's interested. Simply email me directly, chip at chipclose.com. That's C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. We'll set up a time that's convenient for both of us and then go from there. Those 60 minutes are absolutely free. There is no pressure to move forward with ongoing coaching unless you absolutely want to. At the very least, I figure it's a great opportunity for me to learn more about you and your business, and I promise you're going to come away with some insights to apply directly to your business at the end of that hour. Again, I'm looking to take on just four or five new clients starting this summer, and to get started, I'm offering a free 60-minute consultation just to see if it's a good fit. Simply email chip at chipclose.com. Again, C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. You will find that in the show notes if you forget it. So my guest on today's episode is Jim Snedeker. He is the co-founder of Stock Manufacturing. Uh, They're based out in Chicago. So this episode is going to be a little bit different, uh, but I hope by the end you'll see that there's there's a method to my madness. Um, There's an idea. There's something I'd really like to explore. Jim's got a really interesting background. I'm thrilled to be able to have him on the show and chat with him. Jim, welcome. Hey, Chip. Thanks. Appreciate you having me. It is my pleasure. So I want to go back and uh, and give the listeners some context. Um, tell me about yourself, where you grew up, how you got uh, into doing what you do. Tell me what stock is and, and what you guys do as a business. Yeah, sure. So I grew up uh, just a little bit north of Chicago in a, a suburb. Um, and I was, after college, I, I got into sales and marketing. I was doing, um, the last thing I was doing was I was actually at careerbuilder.com and I was uh 
like a high level media sales rep there and had an idea for a business and was also like doing pretty well and getting very, very, very bored at what I was doing. Um, and had this idea, business idea kind of scratching at me and maybe kind of foolishly decided to quit my job and start this business with like, you know, barely any money and no real experience with the business I was trying to do. It was like, we, so we were doing, um, me and one partner, we were doing a flash sale site. Remember like guilt group and hot look and all those like flash sale sites from the late aughts. Yeah. So we yeah. were doing one, um, for indie brands. Like we like would curate these brands we thought were cool and up and coming and, and feature them for flash sales on the website. Um, really hard to start an e-commerce brand when you don't have a marketing budget and people aren't really jumping at the opportunity to get flash discounts on brands they've never heard of before. Um, so we did that, toiled at that for about a year. I was getting ready to, to shut that down. Um, and of course had another idea that, uh, we could find a factory. I, I noticed that all of these indie brands we were working with were, um, having trouble even getting their stuff made, like no factories wanted to work with them. So I actually ended up approaching a factory owner here in Chicago and pitching this idea of like, Hey, we'll, we'll do like Kickstarter for indie fashion brands. You know, we'll, well, if we can get a hundred units sold on our website, you make the product for us. The designer gets a cut. We get a cut. Um, and we'll pay you for the production. He's like, Oh yeah, you know, cool idea. He's like, I've got a couple indie designers, uh, these two young guys working here on their, on a startup fashion brand. You should meet them. And those two guys I met were Tim and Mike, who are my co-partner, co-founders and partners in the business to this day. They were running, um, a really boutique fashion brand out of the back of this factory in West Garfield park here in Chicago. Um, and they, along with the factory owner had been kicking around the idea of a more like stripped down sort of like, uh, menswear essentials type brand, just button downs and ties and just kind of simple, clean stuff. And they were going to verticalize it. They're going to do all of it out of this factory, the design, the development, manufacturing. Um, and I came in and said, okay, that sounds really cool. Why don't we try to, uh, cause I didn't really see the differentiator there. I was like, why don't we try to go direct to consumer? So we'll make a high end American menswear brand and we'll sell it at like J crew price points. Cause like back then there was like Gitman brothers, vintage engineering garments and all these like cool menswear brands that you go and buy a button down shirt for 180 bucks and a blazer for, for $720 or whatever. I was like, why don't we, you know, sell shirts for 98 and sell blazers for 200 and, you know, make a cool Americana brand that was more affordably priced for guys like us. Um, and we did that and again, started that business with absolutely no money, but that the brand name was stock manufacturing. It was all based the, we got our branding and our name and everything from the union stockyards in Chicago. So, you know, it kind of the thing that built Chicago is the epicenter for like both white collar job innovation as well as blue collar immigrant job creation, um, which are two things that we were very passionate about. So that's where we derived that branding. We started the company and we were really scrappy because, you know, at this point, Mike and Tim had a failed business under their belts that they'd already like scraped a little money from friends and family. I had a failed business under my belt where we'd already scraped a little bit of money from friends and family. So like we had to really get scrappy on our own. So we were literally pulling fabrics off the shelves at the factory, like old dead stock fabrics and cutting those up and turning them into shirts and ties and bow ties and going to like street markets in Chicago and selling them and saving, putting money aside for the website development we were doing. 
uh, got a website launched in I think March of 20, April of 2012. So we finally got the stock manufacturing website up and, um, you know, we started building a nice little cult following. And then, you know, again, we were running in the same problem where it's, we were starting an, an e-commerce brand without any, um, marketing budget. So we, we kind of came up with the idea and back then it, the influencers were people with like a really big Tumblr or someone who was really connected in the, in the fashion industry. Um, so we started seeking people like that out. Like, Hey, you've got the X amount of followers on your Tumblr and no good way to monetize that. I know you're like really into fashion and creative. How about you co-design a capsule collection with us? We'll get it made at our factory. We'll sell it. And you guys take a cut of the profits as you're like marketing budget basically. So we started doing that and that's when the brand really kind of just started going up in the right direction. Um, and, and we built, we started building this reputation around Chicago and New York actually, um, as like a really collaborative brand. Like we would do really cool projects with bloggers, stylists, other brands, whatever. And, th and that's how we still started building awareness. Fast forward, uh, the very long way to get to where I'm going is that in our second year in business, Dave Barron, who was the executive chef at Next at the time. So if you know Next and Alinea, they're like, you know, two of the most famous restaurants in the world here in Chicago. Um, Dave liked our brand and I think he knew Tim, my co-founder from something, um, and asked if we would redesign the uniforms at Next and Alinea because they wanted to, to switch up. They weren't happy with their supplier. And we said, uh, sure, we'll figure that out. And we had a bunch of very intense meetings and did a lot of development work and ended up creating these really cool server jackets they they still use to this day at both Next and Alinea. Um, they were our first restaurant uniform client. And for us, it was like, hey, let's make 15 grand because we don't have any money and let's align ourselves with another cool brand and um, can't hurt to be aligned with Alinea, you know? Uh, and then it yeah. just turned into like Goose Island found us and wanted to film a, a thing at our factory of us doing a collection with them. Um, and then that turned into let us entertain you. Uh, we did like RPM steak and RPM Italian in a few places. And then, um, the big one was we did, we did that for a couple of years. We were running the brand and the uniform thing sort of side by side. Um, and then in 2015, when Soho house opened in Chicago, we ended up getting the uniform business for the entire Soho house, which was just massive for us. And, um, yeah, yeah. Massive revenue wise, but also massive, like, uh, reputation wise. Uh, I mean, we wrote, we yeah. wrote a little piece of blog content for it and we still to this day are driving organic traffic from that because they were just, they're cool. So us is like a design leader and, um, very trendy and, we, I think to this day, it's still the most like conceptually perfect uniform program we've done for someone. It's just like, just, it, it really nailed their entire aesthetic, I think. And um, people recognize that and it just kind of kept growing. And uh, after the uniform business started going really, really crazy in like 2017, I was like, you know, we're going to have to start winding down this, look at winding down this brand and, and putting all of our effort into the uniform business, because uh, it's just growing so much faster than the menswear brand. And um, by 2019, we had fully transitioned away from being a menswear brand and were uh, a straight up uniform company. Uh, and that's where we're at today. We're just constantly evolving and, and growing our offering. But yeah, I mean, we, we saw the writing on the wall that we were a very small fish in an, an enormous pond for the menswear e-com business. Um, yep. And we were more like a 
uh, medium fish in a medium pond for the uniform business for what we were doing. Yeah. So uh, there's so much that you just said that's so great. I want to go back and I want to I want to take a bunch of things apart. But I want to pause here for just a second um, and make sure um, that the listeners understand. Um, you know, a lot of what you just said, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of what they've been dealing with uh, as an industry, you know, anybody who's been in the industry um, is that that pivot, right? There's a lot has been said about the pivot over the course of the pandemic. And I've been talking a lot about how it's not the pivot, it's about an evolution, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you made your money doing one thing, the government shut you down, you couldn't do that anymore. And so you had to pivot to something else. You evolved, you figured out who your audience was, and, and they couldn't, you couldn't serve them in the way that you were used to serving them. Um, you had to figure out another way to serve them, right? The, the people were still there and they had needs. They just didn't have the same needs that they had prior to the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you listen to your audience, you listen to the market, you follow the market, you see um, where your skill set matches up and, and you continue to evolve. Certainly, uh, restaurant operators have learned that lesson over the course of the last 18 months. Uh, where they were 18 months ago is wildly different, I think to where they are now. Um, and what I love uh, in, in your story is that um, is that you have wound up in a wildly different place personally than where you started out, right? Like you mm-hmm. started out doing sales, marketing, digital stuff, and then you turned, uh, you know, got hooked up into fashion and then textiles. And now you run this manufacturing brand, this, this textile brand, mm-hmm. this, this clothing brand. And then the other evolution is that uh, where we talk about the, the brand itself, the company, you know, the impetus for starting the company uh, and then how, you know, you continue to find yourself um, and then where it is now, again, wildly different, I guess maybe not wildly different, but serving a totally different market, filling a, a totally different void mm-hmm. um, than, than where you started off, what, 10, 11 years ago, right? Yeah. That, that, that's something that I that I want to just highlight. And I, I always say this on the show. My, my brother is famous for, so my brother's a screenwriter. He's uh, out in LA. Mm. And he's like fascinated. He loves listening to podcasts and interviews with, you know, uh, with screenwriters who have made it, right? With filmmakers who are further along, mm-hmm. five, 10 years, 20 years down the line. And he's like, it always drives me crazy when I'm listening to an interview. And they're like, yeah, you know, and then yada, 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 one thing led to another. And then I got my agent. And then that's <laughs> when I got my, and he's like, no, yeah. no, no, that yada, 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 one thing led to another. He's like, I want to know what was the one thing that led to yeah. another thing that led to another. So you yada yada the way, over the best part. You yada 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 <laughs> over the best part. And so, um, you know, and I did an interview uh, just a few weeks ago uh, with a friend of mine, uh, David, who is a director of operations here for uh, a restaurant in the city. And, you know, I told him the same thing. I'm going to tell you, like, like you just outlined you know, a series of pivots or an evolution and you made it sound, you know, it's a great story and you made it sound easy and I'm sure it wasn't easy in real life. So I want to go back and revisit some of those shifts um, mm-hmm. and some of the decision making, if you can think back that far, you know, to when, so you got this idea to approach influencers who had large Tumblr followings mm-hmm. and to partner up, you know, where were you right before that? Was it like, well, I don't know what else to do? Or was it, did you have eight ideas and this was just the best? Can you can you go back that far? Yeah, I mean, so at the, at the very beginning of stock, when we, when we joined up and started stock, I still carried over some of these ideas from my old business of like um, finding up and coming designers and like crowdsourcing. That's how I thought we would drive the, the organic traffic is like okay. finding these people and like they would be their best advocates. They would get, you know, all of their uh, friends and family looking at the website and buying their stuff, um, which is obviously not a scalable thing, but it's a way to start. Um, and then, you know, and then my thought was that what we were doing is so unique, we'd get press, 
which we did for a very long time. I think it's finally pushed down to the second page of Google, Google for a very long time. Like a lot of our, the top articles about us when you Googled our business were still from like those first six months, like WBEZ did something on us. And like, I think, um, oh, we were in like Entrepreneur Magazine and it was like. Because it was a new business model. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, you know, can stock manufacturing be the farmer's market of like fashion? Like, it was just like all this stuff, right? And um, so that hypothesis is sort of right. It just wasn't enough. And so after like four or five months of working with these indie designers, I was like, these guys, it, we're just, we're not going to grow the business. Like we're treating each of those indie designers as like a, a collab with stock manufacturing. And it just wasn't going in that direction. And I learned the hard way from the year plus previous, like something isn't working at least like fairly well, pretty quickly, like ditch it and move to something else. You know, there, there's some, it's not a mathematical equation so much. It's more of like a gut thing. Um, but I was like, we just got to find the next thing because this isn't going to work. So that was, um, we had met a, a guy through this company here uh, in Chicago called StyleSeek. And they had this guy, Ryan Plett, uh, who, um, is a photographer and he was doing a lot of brand consulting stuff and he had a nice, he was shooting for GQ and hype beast and these, and these magazines back then. And, um, he was always talking to us about clothing stuff and I just hit him up. I was like, why don't we just do a collection with you? And he was like, I, you know, I think maybe I could pull in a couple other guys. We can make it a bigger thing. So, uh, that's what we did. Uh, and it, you know, it, it was like quadruple our best ever sales month with, with this collection. Um, and then we kind of kept chasing that dragon after that, like, who's the next collab? What's the next thing? And I think that became very organically part of our uniform process as well. Like people can come to us and Mike, our creative director is extremely talented. Tim's really good at, um, figuring out how to get products made and everything. And, um, people knew they could come to us and just have ideas and we would make it happen. And that's, you know, over the years we've gotten much more efficient at it, but that's really the way that started. So then do you know, so then I want to take a jump then to the next thing that you were talking about, right? So if the Alinea group approaching you was that, that first entree into that world, into the restaurant world, I mean, how did that happen? How did you get on their radar? You said that maybe there was a connection with one of your, with one of your partners. Yes. Like what made them, like what were, what was the problem they were having and then why did they come to you for that solution? Can, can you, do you even know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if if I remember the connection correctly, Tim's older sister, Liz, went to college at the same time as Dave Barron, and they kind of knew each other. I believe that's <laughs> correct. This is, like, this is like eight years ago at this point, you know, and I haven't gone into specifics. So I believe that's that. And then I'm pretty sure Dave had just seen our stuff and liked it, and it, a, a, um, a kind of light bulb went off when they were talking about new uniforms uh, that that he should talk to us because he knew we were local and he knew we did cool stuff. Um, and their their problem was that they were sourcing pretty expensive uniforms from France and they were, they were pricing, they were taking a really long time. Yeah. And another thing in this world that we operate in is like, there's a lot of kind of minor league players in it who disappear for two weeks because they're not answering emails or are hard to get on the phone or are delayed six weeks on their shipment and, and don't communicate that very well to you. And, um, and I think we just kind of had an opening there and, and we found openings like that over time as well with other clients. But yeah, that was the, that was the thing with Alinea. They just wanted to switch and we happened to be there. Yeah. So now, and now we're talking about, you know, operationally you're different and also kind of design wise. So talk about, so talk about what that, like, what is it about the brand or what is it, 
like like what's the ethos of it? You know, like so I'll say what are the things um that are part of your identity that don't change from design to design to design? Like like this is our box we're in here. And then what are the things that do change or is it all, is it all flexible? Well, we definitely, I mean, you can go on our website, our Instagram or whatever, and like see our, our aesthetic and our point of view. We definitely have like a more contemporary, modern aesthetic and point of view. Um, that said, you know, there's stuff that you see on our website, you know, the, the banded collar shirts and the chambrays and, and the unstructured blazers and things like that, that fit really a, pretty specific aesthetic for a lot of like the cooler trendier places over the last several years um but we also do things like there's not there's not a lot of things that that someone comes to us and says do this for us and we say no to right like we also do white suit jackets and um you know black cocktail dresses and things that aren't necessarily what you think of when you think of our brand but i i think you can look on our website and kind of see what the the general point of view is yeah yeah for sure so you know, it's it's so funny when we talk in, uh, you know, we talk about uh, restaurant uniforms. It's uh, so I'll, I'll take this as an opportunity uh, to talk about something that I'm really passionate about. And listeners will know this, um, that I always talk about something called the ABCDs of marketing. It's a four step framework that I put together um, that I, I use all the time when I'm working with clients, when I'm working with uh, chefs, operators. Um, and it stands for audience, branding, competition and differentiation. And the idea is that uh, to market anything, any service, product, experience, anything in the world, you have to understand who your audience is, right? Like, who are you serving? What problem do they have? Uh, and how are you uniquely qualified to solve that problem? Uh, that's your brand, right? Your brand, your product, your company uh, exists to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, competition uh, is everyone else who, out there who is trying to solve that uh, same problem. And then differentiation is is how are you different from all those competitors? Um, so you do that, right? And you can do that whether you're selling consumer electronics, cars, sneakers, uh, or restaurant experiences. You figure out, again, who's your audience? How are you uh, serving them? How are you solving that problem? Uh, who else is trying to solve that same problem? And then how are you different from them? And I always say ABCD leads to E. In the, and E stands for everything. Mm-hmm. Every choice you make communicate something to the diner, to a prospective diner about the experience you're crafting. Um, and so one of the things that I always talk about, I say, you know, the lighting matters, the music matters, the the, the food, the menu, actually what you're serving, how much you charge for that, how it's presented, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, the style of service, the uniforms that they're wearing, the everything communicates something um, to, uh, to a potential uh, diner. And I think that's where you're coming in here of saying, like, mm-hmm. don't let that, go by the wayside, make sure you really are thinking about everything. Uh, years ago, it used to be, uh, if you needed to, we were talking about this a little bit offline before we started recording, uh, but we were talking about this, right? If a restaurant needed uniforms for the staff, uh, it was either you send them down to Target or to J. Crew or mm-hmm. to whatever. You say, you know, this is the thing, right? Get black pants and then go buy this shirt and go buy this jacket yeah. or whatever it is. Or you're sourcing from some big behemoth company like a Cintas or, you know, and getting really kind of crap stuff. Or like Alinea, right? You're, you're sourcing it really, you know, uh, really carefully sourced, uh, from places far, far away that have to sit on boats and sit at customs, uh, and all of that. And you're basically saying like, there should be more thought, um, taken in, in, in what you're doing. This is a choice. This is a specific choice. You know, the people who are serving your people, uh, the way they present themselves, um, communicates a great deal to, um, to the diner. Mm-hmm. So then where is the, and so I guess my question is, um, and I'm getting to my question, uh, 
in the brands that you that you've been working with, obviously there are people who are already drinking the Kool Aid who already know this, right? There, here's the marketing problem, right? Is that uh, marketers have two problems? First, you have to convince people that they have a problem. Then you have to convince people that you have the solution to that problem. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I assume that most of the people who have come to you uh, understood they have a problem and are coming to you recognizing you as the solution. But how do you communicate that that problem before you? present the fact that you are the solution to that problem. How do you, you know, how do you communicate that to, uh, to other restaurants, to ever other operators, that this is something they should be thinking about, um, before you can even present yourself as a, as the solution? I think that's not necessarily where, where we slot in, like showing people that they have a problem. Um, I don't think is, is necessarily what we're doing. I think it's a lot more uh, the good operators, or even at this point, like the average operators, they kind of know what they need and they know there's a problem. And I think we, we slot in more in, uh, and what's been our biggest challenge is, uh, someone recognizes they have this problem or they're going to have this problem and they need to get ahead of it. And how do we get ourselves all the way over right next to them? So we're the ones that they find and how do we make sure that we're packaged up in a way that it's visually very appealing and also gets the point of what we do across very clearly. So we were, you know, we're constantly tweaking our website, uh, redesigning things, um, experimenting with different styles of photography, experimenting with different copy, uh, and, and different ads and, and trying to put ourselves in a position where like, um, I always say like my, my biggest sort of ethos in business is just reduction of friction. That's like, that's my entire approach to growing the business is like, how do you make it easier for them to find you? How do you make it easier for them to understand you? How do you make it easier for them to order? How do you make it easier for them to reorder? If they have a problem, is your customer service really diligent, responsive? Um, so that's really been the big thing for us. And you can even see it like in our, in our product offering, it's, it's clean, it's cohesive, uh, it's stylish, but like, it's not super risky, right? If you go on our website, like, it's a lot of navies and whites and grays. Um, we got a bunch of different colorful aprons because that's a, a lower risk, unsized thing that people can can take more chances on. But in general, we have informed our product offering by what the client wants, right? So we used to do everything completely custom, and it was a nightmare logistically. I mean, we re we made a reputation making all these really cool custom things, and we can still do these custom things if someone has the quantities and the budget and everything. But what we realized is like, Hey, we got to get a lot closer to more customers. We have to be like more accessible. So that's why we started stocking more and more. And the way we, the way we operate with a lot of our clients is we put together like a pitch deck and illustrator with their designs in there. And we started pitching. We we're like, Hey, let's just start pitching more white and blue and gray in these shirts. And like, that is ultimately what a lot, what a lot of people want is the base part of their uniform. And then they layer on, a custom apron, a custom hat, custom pins, whatever. Um, so then the challenge was, okay, white shirts, blue chambrays, gray chambrays, like what is our advantage over a J crew or someone? And it was customer service and continuity, right? Like you go to J crew and you buy something and then it's discontinued for the next season or it's sold out for the next six weeks, whatever. Like yeah. our goal was just like kind of keep knocking those challenges down. So this is not much of a, what I would say like a lean back sales opportunity, you know, like, we're we're undergoing our first like pretty big outbound sales campaign right now um, via a few different channels, and like 
it's really about catching people at the right time when they're thinking about uniforms. You're really not going to catch a busy GM or a VP of ops who doesn't think they have a uniform problem and convince them that they do. It's more about being, having the product that they want and finding them at the right place at the right time. That's our biggest challenge. I love it. So then you kind of made the second point that I was going to make, which is that um, so much of marketing is about finding the people who already believe what you believe, right? So that you don't have to convince people because the idea is that there are enough customers out there, there are enough people in your market in, let's let's call that, you know, the United States. There are enough people, uh, you can't possibly serve all of the people, right? You gotta find them all. But um, so you you identify the people who already believe what you believe, mm-hmm. um, who, who, know, who know that they have a problem and you just, you know, um, remove the friction, put yourself next to them, make sure that they, um, they can find you, they can understand who you are. Um, they can see, a, a an easy path forward to order from you. Um, that's not dissimilar from, from restaurants. And this is a point that I'd like to, uh, to make sure to highlight for the listeners in that so often we, uh, we spend so much time, I think, talk about, uh, talking about uh, attracting clients to us, right? Getting people to come mm-hmm. in. There are a lot of people who just don't want to come into your restaurant. There are a lot of people who don't want to, uh, to purchase the things that you guys are creating, you know, the, the kind of uniforms, the kind of solution you're providing. But the point is that you've got more than enough people who do believe, um, or, you know, do believe they just don't know that you exist yet. And so it's, it's about finding, uh, finding those people. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting, uh, a really interesting overlap. So then talk to me a little bit about, so you guys started doing a lot of custom work and then ended up building a line right now. You've got a, like a line that people can order Mm -hmm. from, um, and that's the majority of the business now. Yeah. Yes. That's, I mean, the, the entire business is workwear, you know, uniform stuff other than we do, we do a fair amount of merch. Uh, That's a pretty big chunk of our of our revenue as well like not not like your traditional swag like putting a logo on a polo or or on a water bottle or whatever like we do much people come to us for more like custom interesting sort of smaller batch uh swag and merch things so like yeah like what uh i mean the biggest coolest thing we've ever done was the miller high life collection where we they were rolling out their um their heritage bottles a few years back, like inspired by their like old heritage, like labels they used to have. Um, so we created a, a clothing collection that was based off their vintage advertising. So we like pulled a piece of a piece of apparel out of each decade of advertising going back like a hundred years and created like this really cool capsule collection. So that was one big thing we did. Uh, I mean, we just did, for Maker's Mark Holiday uh, Q4, we did like a buffalo plaid flannel with a, their lo- their logo kind of like tastefully and interestingly put above the pocket. Uh, we do merch for, I mean, coffee shops, just hats and tees and stuff. And, you know, it's all over the board. That's cool. And so, and that's a sizable piece of the business? That's a, like how much, like percentage wise? Uh, about 15%. And how much of the business at this point is some of that custom stuff that, that you guys were originally hired for? You know, that I could probably back out into what we've sold out of our, because all of our, all of our in-stock inventories housed in Shopify. Um, but I don't have those numbers off the top of my head, but a, a, a significant of what we, a significant amount of what we sell are, are our in-stock shirts and aprons. Yeah, I understand. So yeah. then, so then somebody says, okay, well, you know, we got to, you know, yeah, I, I'd love to upgrade our uniforms. I want something more consistent. 
Um, I want something more stylish. I want to take this to the next level. Um, wh- then what is the difference? Either they come and they shop with you and they put together an, you know, an order for the place. Or if they say, no, I really do want, um, you know, do want that, um, that custom experience. How does that process work? Cause I'm just curious. Yeah. So, um, like a lot of places that we do, especially so hotels are our main driver, right? And it's relevant to restaurants cause it's often the F and B outlets within hotels, but hotels in general are the biggest driver of our, our growth and our revenue. And so like for a, a, a hotel, let's, let's say hotel Haya that's just opened in Tampa, in Tampa that we just did. So they, Aparium comes to us for, for Haya and they say, okay, here's the interior design renderings. Here's our brand book. Here's like the, what we're trying to go for with this space and who we're trying to attract, put together your first pitch deck. So we'll put together a design, uh, you know, pitch deck in illustrator and it's got, I, I believe they have like our white banded collar shirts on the servers in one place, button down shirts on like front desk. And then we did um, these custom like striped shirts for like the pool staff that were, um, or for the cafe staff, excuse me, that were popular enough that we moved that to an in-stock item because it was like custom and cool. Then we also did these custom pins made out of their logos, custom embroidery on all the aprons. Um, and then uh, we created some, some polos for them, like technical polos that would be moisture and sweat wicking for their pool staff that we did not carry beforehand. Um, so that's... That's sort of how that mix goes. Like we yeah. just, we mix them in together. So then you, so they give you all the materials. You put together, you know, mm-hmm. you go back to the drawing board. You design. You you come up with your your ideas. You put together a pitch deck. You send it to them. They say this is brilliant. Yeah, cut print. Let's do all of this. Or there's a back mm-hmm. and forth. Or they say, you know, actually we don't love this so much. Like like how does that that collaboration work? Always a back and forth. Almost always a back and forth. So they'll give us feedback. We'll have a call and go over it. Um, we'll edit it. We'll get it to where they want it to be. And then for anything custom, we'll generally almost always uh, create a sample of it for approval, like a top, what's called a top sample. So it's like, this is what's going to look like when we produce it. Is this good with you? Samples are almost always good at this point. They didn't always used to be, but we've got our product offering dialed in enough where we know what the guardrails are for creating new products. Um, Get the samples approved and then go into production on those um, and then make sure we have ample inventory of the in-stock things. And then when staff gets hired on two weeks or so before opening, they submit a size breakdown to us. We put together the size breakdown of all the in-stock stuff, ship that out so they can start distributing those uniforms. And then when the custom things are done, we ship those to them. Yeah. And how long does that process typically take? Um, does it like ideating, designing, and then getting all that that custom stuff made? Yeah. So design, usually we get done in like a week or two. And then, you know, if, if we need to do some edits, maybe another few days. And then sampling can take four to six weeks, depending on the product, like pins and hats go a little faster than uh, a cut and sew shirt might because you got to source the fabric as well. Um, And then uh, we get the approval, which, you know, could take one day, could take a month, depending on how quickly all the people get in the room together. And then production itself usually takes about four weeks. Uh, which isn't, you know, which isn't bad. So you're talking about a, a three month process, you know, 90 days, something like that for, for a completely custom experience. Right. But then on the other side, if you're just dealing with the stuff in stock, then that's, you guys, you guys have pars and you guys have in, inventory that you can ship out immediately. Right. Yeah. I mean, just last week we had two new venues in Nashville that literally just went on our website and bought 
you know, several dozen of something and it shipped out the next day. Yeah. 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 You know, the, the design thing, we're really, we're good at it and it's pretty fast in the context of the fashion industry, but you can see how, and there's also, you know, we've yep. got MO, MOQ, minimum order quantities from 25 to a hundred units, depending on the custom item. So you can see how a uh, 90 day lead time with a lot of back and forth and high minimums was not a scalable solution for us to start growing with everyone. Right. Even, even the, biggest hotel with the biggest budget in the world might not have 90 days. You know, a lot of them like, oh shit, we haven't figured out uniforms. We're opening in three weeks. Yeah. I mean, this is always the interesting thing is that, you know, restaurants take forever to build. Uh, hotels take even longer to build. And <laughs> and still, we're always surprised. I always joke around like, like we're sweeping the last little bit of dirt under the rug as the first guests are opening the front door. It happens. I've done nine openings uh, over my life. Um, and it's the same thing every single time. Like, like we're surprised that that guests are coming in tonight and it's it's oh. always amazing like we've got all this time and then still everything gets held to the last minute uh, we've been we've been bringing stuff on hangers in the back door while service was starting before and like getting people <laughs> dressed in the back we that does not really happen anymore we're a lot more uh time efficient with our business now but back in the day it was uh we were hanging out for dear life sometimes Whether you realize it or not, your website is the most powerful marketing tool at your disposal. It's where people go to learn who you are, figure out where you're located, when you're open, and of course, to see the food you serve. So why would you rely on PDF menus and static text to sell your food? Our culture is visual and people these days wanna see what they're getting. Enter Pop Menu, a website design platform that puts the menu at the heart of everything. Pop Menu's dynamic menu technology serves high-quality photos and allows guests to like and review dishes that they love that will then live on that dish's webpage. These features all feed into your restaurant's SEO results to help you rank higher in relevant searches. What's more, Pop Menu's automated marketing tools keep guests engaged long after their purchase. Send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders and promote new dishes, events, and specials. Pop Menu keeps restaurants top of mind with guests. If you're a restaurant owner, you need a great website that not only looks beautiful, but helps drive more traffic and sales. Use Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. Best of all, listeners of this show can lock in one set monthly rate and get $100 off their first month. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim this offer. Again, that's $100 off your first month by visiting POP menu.com slash restaurant strategy as always that link is in the show notes and so do people now do some combination because I, I imagine as I'm listening to you outline the details of your business uh, I assume most businesses do some combination of um, of the stock uh, designs and some component of of custom, like they'll get custom aprons made, they'll get custom hats to go with uh, the ready-made shirts and stuff. Is that true? Is that is that more true than not? Very true. And I found though, the more in-stock things where we begin offering, the less custom things people order. Right. So like, people are often ordering like a custom vest for their bartenders because like we just haven't really stocked them because it was really easy for us to make small quantities of them. But now it's, you know, we're starting to stock. We've got one style in stock. We'll start stocking more. And invariably, like, people used to ask us for the craziest shirt styles. And now 
that it just doesn't really come up now that we have um, really good stuff in stock. So it's it's sort of a chicken or the egg thing. Yeah. Um, so how does it continue to evolve? How does the business continue to grow? How are you thinking about, again, your business and, and, and its success and its life and its growth? Um, and then also the industry and how the industry is growing and how you can continue to serve. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, for us growing and evolving the business is really uh, just a matter of, of a bigger funnel, right? That's like everything, almost all of our business for the first six years we did uniforms was inbound or referral, right? There was like very little trade, you know, we did the NRA show once and it was a complete waste of time. So it was like not the National Rifle Association, the the restaurant one. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that, you know, so it, it, we really haven't like done a lot of outbound sales. It's been more... Uh, organic growth. So now this year specifically, we've started really focusing on more outbound sales growth and building a funnel and automating a lot of the funnel, right? Like, um, you can have a call with me if you're interested in a call. Otherwise we can send you this email with information. You get put into a sort of like a nurture thing, or you're in our mailing list for moving forward. And like, so the, the, really the goal was to be able to have more and more clients to create, to make the experience good enough on the website where clients can show up and just feel comfortable ordering $2,500 worth of uniform stuff that just gets shipped to them the next day. Um, you know, we're always available to talk. We're always available to email. Um, and I'm on calls. The goal is to be on calls all day, every day. It's not necessarily the case, but it's close, but like figuring out how to like have that sort of automated part, the phone call part, working on the really custom stuff, selling the more in stock stuff, managing our supply chain more and more efficiently. Um, and then, you know, digging into industries that we haven't tapped enough yet. Like, I mean, the hotel industry is at this point almost like endless, right? Like we could, we could subsist just off of like Hyatt decided to give us all of their business. We'd be busy for the rest of the year, right? Like that, that's one way that we're growing is just trying to, uh, really solidify relationships with, with hotel groups and at least boutique imprints inside the big hotel groups. Uh, and then, we're, we're doing a couple fairly big cannabis companies now. That's a huge industry that's ripe for uh, for us to grow in because, you know, when cannabis, when legalization started, it was like you can get a license and open up a shack on a street in the middle of nowhere. You're going to have a line out the door forever, right? Because there was nothing else, nowhere else to go to get your rec or your, or your medical weed. Um, and now there's a lot more competition. It's only going to get stiffer. So you'll see that the cannabis companies have really started putting more of a focus on their front of house and their like aesthetics and design and everything. So that's kind of where we've been fitting in more and more in that industry. Um, and then, you know, the, I always say this is like the, the, the mad men moment, but I, we would love, love, love to do an airline someday. I think that's getting into an airline. Just it's, it's really just continuing to make ourselves relevant in more and more industries, I think. Yeah. How do you, so how do you do that? How do you begin to look at, I mean, it's still hospitality, it's still service, you know, that, that makes sense to me. How do you, how do you even begin to, to do that? Do you start identifying like which airlines have an ethos that, that already kind of jives with you or which, you know, which brand is ready for kind of a, a refresh? How do you think I, about that? I was hoping you were going to tell me, Chip. <laughs> uh no i don't know that yet that's um i think if we if southwest came to us tomorrow and they were like we need you to do a whole new uniform program for us we could do it but it would like it would be like sailing a 
a boat off a waterfall. You know what I mean? Like we're just, we're not, I don't know that we're equipped to scale that quickly right now. Like everything, the, the way our business is now would have killed us two years ago with the, the volume that we're doing. So we're just kind of slowly, you know, we don't have venture funding or anything. So we're really just reinvesting back in the business. But I got to imagine for an airline, you have to be a lot more dialed in with like how many wash cycles you can get on each garment and, you know, need to have probably a nationwide distribution network figured out and probably fronting a lot of money for the inventory and they pay for it as they buy it. It's just not something we'd be super set up for right now. I don't think. Interesting. I, so I, we're getting there. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think about, I mean, it makes, it makes a lot of sense that there's, there's going to be a brand who wants what you guys, uh, what you guys offer. I don't even begin to understand how that, that works. It's interesting to hear you talk about it. So the beauty of, like we said before, right, the, the marketer's dilemma is that they have to convince people of two things. Number one, they have a problem. Number two, that you're the solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. And you guys are trying to to really maximize that that second piece to it, right? Um, to put yourself forward as the solution for people who already have a problem. But the beauty of this podcast, and I think the beauty of the um, the relationship I've built with the listeners, right, this community is, uh, is really extraordinary. Um, but people are... Um, I don't know. I, one of the things that I love doing is pointing out problems, shortcomings, saying, hey, guys, make sure we're thinking about this. Make sure we're thinking about this. Let's dial in our email strategy. Let's think about automation. Let's think about how we're relating to the customers. Let's let's think about special events and promotions. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm able to have those conversations. So I want to have that conversation here with you. What's the... What's the argument to persuade people? You know, can you think of some experience, uh, conversations you've had um, over the course of these last several years uh, where people were on the fence and, you know, came to you or said, hey, I'm supposed to talk to you, but I don't even think we really need this. And, you know, why would I need this? Can can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So there's there's sort of two sides of that, right? There's the side everyone sees of us is that like our website looks like a fashion brand, right? Like it, it's it's cool. We have retail quality photography. The product is really good. So that's a selling point right there often that like someone just sees our website, goes to our Instagram, blah, blah, blah. And like, they just know we fit their aesthetic. And that's, um, it's just a matter of like talking them through the process and, and getting to the, you know, making sure the price points work and everything. So there's that side of the, the business, which sort of almost is what everyone focuses on with us, like the design, the style, the fashion, blah, blah, blah. Then there's sort of the middle part where it's like our kind of unrelenting, focus on the quality of the product, you know, improving the fits, improving the fabric, improving the durability. So that's um, where we get a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, it looks cool. It's kind of expensive. We're like, yeah, well, you know, it's feel it. We'll send it to you. Touch the textiles. Like it's really good. Um, but then sort of the, that's a, an easy way to get some, some notice and to get people kind of interested in you. The way that we, I think have made ourselves uh, have grown in the industry and made us all, ourselves stickier with our clients is like is sort of like the sort of the iceberg under the water part, right? Like you see the tip, but like what we're doing underneath is really, I think, what has driven us to have, you know, whatever level of um, small success we have and, and stickiness with our clients is that we are like constantly focused. Uh, A, customer service is huge, like just setting the right expectations, being responsive answering emails. I mean, someone once a couple of years ago when we were like nowhere near the size we are now, but like we're getting good traction and someone's like, Oh, what's the secret to building a business? And I was like, I answered my emails and I call people back. It's like, it's unbelievable how many people don't do those two simple things. So there's that side of things. And then also we pay attention 
uh, and this is part of our evolution that you you hinted at before, we pay attention to what the problems are, and then we put solutions into place. So like originally, uh, you know, when we started working with Let Us Entertain You, they said their big problem is they were sending hostesses out to, to Nordstrom to buy dresses for the night, and they were sending GMs to to J crew and cobbling together stuff that looked kind of similar. And then it wasn't blah, blah, blah. Right. So we said, okay, when we started changing our messaging, like, listen, you get retail quality uniforms from us, but you have guaranteed continuity. Like we will keep making these uniforms as long as you need them because we control the production. So that was a big thing. And then it was, um, you know, uh, we were doing all these custom things and noticing that, People just didn't have the lead times, didn't have the MOQs, and we had a hunch that if we started investing in the inventory, we'd be able to grow our revenue by having a more accessible product, and and that works. So we keep growing that part of the business. Um, and then the other thing uh, that we've noticed is that uh, specifically hotels and restaurants pre-opening was that they don't have their staff until two weeks before they open, um, and there was, they were just guessing at inventory, right? It was like guessing at the size breakdown. So, uh, we just, we again, evolved the business model to say, you know, if you're ordering these in-stock items and you're already invoiced and, and this is what you're going to do, we will just make sure we have enough inventory, uh, to cover whatever you think you might, uh, you might order. And we will send you what we call a fit kit of every size of the, of the products you're ordering one of each size. So all of your staff can try these and get their right, correct, accurate sizes ordered, and we'll ship them to you whenever you're ready for them. So five days before opening, a week before opening, whatever. Um, but that was like that was the other big thing is that people were always guessing on sizing and missing on sizing. So uh, we just like continuously sort of see these little problems and try to steer the ship in a direction to fix them. And I think that's why we've grown um, and and there's more to us than just having like stylish looking aprons and shirts yeah and, and i think the important thing here is that right the uh, you know restaurant operator you know a chef you know a team that's uh, that's opening a restaurant so you spend so much time thinking about the layout of the the dining room right the layout of the tables the kind of chairs the kind of banquettes the the lighting the music the menu the, the literally the, the menu that they're holding the prices you charge you know everything you're thinking about your logo your business cards your website your social media the the pictures the uh, the signage outside, the the parking lot, the you know, you're thinking about everything. Um, that to not close the loop and think about, you know, you're hiring your team carefully, you're training them carefully, you're giving them the tools they need. Um, that the uniforms are are a key piece to that. Um, it communicates something, right? I, I always say that like a, a mediocre server who's well dressed is going to make more money. Uh, than uh, than a great server who looks kind of like a schlub, right? Who's got a mm-hmm. shirt untucked and you know a little little spot of dirt on their their pants and stuff like that. You just you got to play the part. You gotta you, you gotta lean into that. And I think by making sure that everybody's all together. And the other piece to that is uh, is durability. I think about it all the time, right? That that stuff starts looking ratty after a while if it's not gonna hold uh, if it's not gonna hold up. And then the other piece is continuity, uh, which drives me uh, personally crazy. I've worked at places mm-hmm. where um, you know, I worked at a place that did, uh, that all did all bespoke, um, vests for the opening team. But as you can imagine, you turn over half your team within six months on any restaurant opening. Mm-hmm. So then people are stuck in that cause they're not going to pay the tailor to come back in and let it out or, you know, or, or take it in or whatever. Yep. So you're, you're stuck with that. Or then if, if there's no other options, then you say, okay, well, they're, 
uh, well, we get gray vests. Okay, just just go try and get a gray vest at Macy's or something. And mm-hmm. so then, you know, you've got this really beautiful bespoke stuff that was made at 73rd in Madison, you know, on a third of your staff. Mm-hmm. And then the other chunk of your staff is wearing stuff that's from Macy's or Zara or... Yep. J Crew or, or wherever it is that um, that uniformity, the continuity um, is a key piece to that. Again, you don't you know you don't just worry about the lighting in one part of your dining room. You worry about the lighting in the entire uh, in the entire restaurant. Yep. It's um it's an interesting conversation, and you know we had talked offline here that there are that this seems to be kind of the next frontier. There are uh, there are certainly other companies out there um, that that offer kind of compelling solutions in the way that you guys are, and um, this is something that I think is on people's uh, people's radar now. Certainly, you know now. 15 years ago, uh, everybody was in a blue apron and now everyone's in kind of <laughs> this new, these new fashionable aprons mm-hmm. that, uh, that you guys and, and, and other brands are, are putting out. And it's, and it's cool to see how are you guys separating yourselves from the, those other couple of brands that are out there kind of, you know, positioning themselves similarly. Yeah. I think the, the biggest thing is we emphasize front of house. So you know, we, we can say the names. I, I know that Headley and Bennett is like sort of the, the industry leader in the aprons. They, they were a, uh, an early mover. They do a lot of cool aprons. Um, but they, they always have this emphasis on chef kitchen. You know, Ellen was a chef and, and everything. And same with Tillet, right? Like it's always, it's chef jackets and, and aprons and it's all very focused on chefs. We work with a lot of really cool chefs. Um, there are, you know, we have Michelin starred chefs that wear our aprons, but our our primary focus is front of house and being like the best front of house uniform solution there is out there. So um, that's, I think, our big differentiator. Yeah, interesting. Which again, I, I use that to highlight um, again another key marketing um, marketing lesson, which is the differentiation, right? Like we said, the ABCDs of marketing, right? You've got to figure out. Um, you're coming into an existing market um, and you got to figure out, you know, who else is in that market and how you can separate yourself, how, how you can differentiate yourself from the other players there. Um, and those other companies, right? Uh, certainly Tillit, uh, based here in New York City. Uh, we know them well. They put out really great stuff. You know, Headley and Bennett is um, certainly, you know, all over the country and they put out great stuff too. Um, but I love this thing that you guys are building and, and the conversation you're starting. Uh, and I think uh, front of the house uniforms are kind of this this next frontier. This is something that uh, that people people just say, oh, go get black pants and a, and a white shirt and we'll give you a vest. Go, you know, go get a go get a gray shirt. And none of the grays, <laughs> none of the grays match. Um, right. Which for some for some restaurants, I guess it doesn't matter, right? Like, I guess there there's a certain kind of restaurant where it doesn't matter. But there are a lot of restaurants. Um, I would argue it matters uh, more than it doesn't matter. But there are some restaurants that just don't care. They're never going to care, and you're not going to convince them. Yeah, I think if you're, I think if you're not in a uniform, it doesn't matter if no one looks the same, right? If like you go to Longman and Eagle and everyone's in like uh, a different T-shirt, like that's fine. Right. If you have a uniform program and all the uniforms look a little different, then not so great. I would, I would argue. Yeah. The the point of. Uh, the point of a uniform is uniformity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the thing that always that always has driven me crazy. And I've uh, I've worked at a ton of places, and um, I don't think I've ever worked at a place that uh, that did it right. The only places that I worked um, that really had it done right is when they were all um, is when they were all like hand tailored and 
again, there was no there was no shortage of budget. And but again, a year into it, it ended up looking crappy yeah. because uh, you no longer had your staff there anymore. Um, I love this. I've loved this conversation. Um, I, I like the, you know, talking about the overlap between uh, what you guys do, how you serve the restaurant industry and uh, the parallels between your own journey, the journey of your company and um, and how that echoes uh, a lot of what restaurant owners are are thinking about and going through now. Uh, but I am uh, well aware that you're a busy guy and uh, and I want to let you get back to what you need to do. Um, before I let you go, any, uh, any last pieces of advice uh, for the people listening, people who are on the fence, people who maybe think they don't have a problem, think they maybe do have a problem, and then send us off uh, letting us know where people can learn more about uh, you and the company. Yeah, sure. I, I don't, I would not, um, I would not think that I am someone who's in the position to give restaurant operators any sort of advice. Um, I don't have any, um, I don't believe, I don't, I don't think that we are as important as making sure your menu's dialed in and making sure your staff is very well trained. So I, I don't want to go out and say that um, I have advice for you, but I will say that uh, we have made operations a lot easier for a lot of places by taking control of their uniform program and helping keep the staff well-stocked, well-dressed, um, and taking pressure off the GMs and the VPs of operations um, and not having to think about uniform stuff quite as much. So if you are a uniform company and you think that would help get your brand across, we are we have taken a lot of pains to make ourselves the easiest solution out there. Excellent. And where can people go to learn more about uh, what you do to uh, to get the products uh, to explore the line? Yeah, we're at stockmfgco.com and our social media handles are all at stockmfgco. I also did uh, have a coupon code for all of your listeners, Chip, so anyone who wants to use the code Chip 20 on their first purchase, we'll get 20% off that first purchase. Chip 20. That's amazing. I didn't realize you were going to do that. Uh, Super, super cool. My Uh, pleasure. We will put all of the links, the handles, uh, all of that in the show notes. No need to worry. We'll put the the promo code uh, in the show notes as well. So if you're driving and you you didn't get to write it down, you can find it there easily enough. Uh, Jim, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to chat with us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Chip. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And that's it for today's episode. I want to thank Jim for taking the time to sit and chat with us. I hope you got a lot out of it. As I always say, there are three things you can do to pay it forward. If you get value out of this show, please forward this episode to somebody who you think might need to hear it, who might get something out of it. Uh, Number two, you can go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. All those five-star reviews really help boost us in the rankings, which helps grow our community. And then finally, number three, please go join the Patreon community. Uh, We've got a private podcast that's available. New episodes come out every day. Just for $5, you can get access to that private podcast. Uh, Again, the community is growing. I would love to see you over there. Thank you again for taking time out of your day to, uh, to join me here. Stay creative, and I will see you next time. Restaurant Strategy is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors as well as our Patreon supporters. A special shout out to all of our gold and platinum members, Ty Hames, Bob and Kate Carpenter, Scott Middleton, Chuck and Denise Close, Stephen and Ann Fagan, Mario Tomatos, and Christopher Tana. If you want to become a supporter, please go visit patreon.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, the link is in the show notes.